You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Get life. Adam broke it. Eve broke it. And by breaking it, it's broken for all of us. The covenant then becomes the covenant of grace. But too often people on this earth want to live under the covenant of works and say, oh, if I do good, I'll earn God's favor and I'll go to heaven. And they're not understanding that covenant was already broken. The covenant of works is broken. We cannot work our way to heaven. It's only by appealing to God that we're put into Christ. Christ comes and is perfect for us. He fulfills the covenant of works for us. Secondly, it's our declaration of new allegiance to Christ. It's our declaration of new allegiance to Christ. So it's a heart expression appealing to God for forgiveness, and it's a declaration of new allegiance to Christ. What does baptism represent? It represents two things, I believe. First, death and resurrection with Christ. It represents death and resurrection with Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We get this picture from Paul that baptism is a spiritual reality pictured through this physical event. We are buried with him in death, raised to walk in newness of life. We're coming to God and saying, I'm now dead to my sin. I'm choosing differently now about my sin. I want to walk differently. I want to walk in allegiance to Christ. In the same way, yesterday, Jesse died to other women in his life. He came and made a a lifelong profession. This is who I will love for the rest of my life. I choose her. I choose her as my wife. He now walks differently. He walks in a committed relationship to this woman until death separates him or until Christ returns. That's the picture of baptism. We come dead to sin now, raised to walk in newness of life. Colossians 2, 11 through 12 In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Secondly, it's not just a representation of death and resurrection with Christ. It's also representing our cleansing from sin, cleansing from sin. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We get this idea of needing a need for washing throughout the New Testament. And the conversation that was going on with Paul back in Acts 22 talks about repenting and being baptized for the washing away of your sins. Now, obviously, we don't believe that what's about to happen with Luke is that his sins are going to be washed away because he's dunked in water. 
Paul appeals to this back in um, 1 Peter 3.21 that we already read. He's saying it's not about removing dirt from the body. It's a picture of what's already happened, the washing away of your sins through Christ's blood on the cross. But the picture outside when we go to baptize Luke is that he's buried, that he's raised to walk in newness of life, that his sins have been washed away, that he's been cleansed. It's why we use water. It's so that it's the best picture possible for what's happened in him. I mean, we could dunk him in a, in a bunch of other stuff, but he would come out dirty from it. it. It breaks down the picture. The water is the representation that he has been cleansed, that he has been washed clean. Not because of this physical act, but because of what Christ has already accomplished and his faith in that work. He's not physically dying in that water and being raised to walk in newness of life. It's a picture, though, of what spiritually has happened to him. Why do we only baptize believers? We talked last week about why we don't baptize infants. Why do we only baptize believers? First of all, a believable profession of faith seems to be the prerequisite to baptism in the New Testament. Everywhere in the New Testament, we see believing faith before baptism. In Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You have the receiving of the word and then baptism. In Acts 8.12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So first we had the receiving of the word. Now we have belief in the preaching of the good news. Baptism then follows. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Here, these people have the Holy Spirit and then they're baptized. We have the receiving of the word, belief in the good news, the presence of the Holy Spirit's baptism. That's the pattern we see in the New Testament. Secondly, New Testament writers assume specific things about people who have been baptized. New Testament writers, they assume specific things about people that have been baptized. New Testament writers assume things about people that have been baptized. I want you to listen to this in the context of wrestling through baptizing infants versus baptizing believers. In Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul's saying everybody that's been baptized has put on Christ. Which implies that that salvation has already happened. You can't be baptized and and not put on Christ, according to Paul. You've been baptized. Every one of you that's been baptized, you've put on Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You can't have that happen to somebody that's not a believer. So if we take that consistency thing, let's forget about infants, but in the Old Testament, old people were being circumcised that were brought into the covenant community. Remember we said that technically if the holy children in 1 Corinthians are mentioned there as, as being people that should be baptized, the unbelieving husband should be baptized as well. So imagine bringing a 14-year-old adopted kid from Uganda in here. Hey, you know, we chose you. We wanted to bring you to our family here in America. We're going to baptize you. This person has been buried with Christ, raised to walk with Christ. This person comes out of the water and is saying, what? What, when did I make that choice? When did I make that decision? Paul's communicating very seriously what he believes baptism to be, and it can only apply to believers. Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. If infants or any unbelievers are baptized, baptism has to start meaning something different. Because the understanding that the New Testament writers have about baptism cannot include people that aren't believers. Their understanding is that if you've been baptized, you've put on Christ. You've been buried and raised to walk in newness of life. And that's only true for believers. Does baptism save? This is important. I had this conversation with Luke last week because I did not want Luke to think that what happens today saves him. We do not believe that any type of external situation, any type of external ceremony saves anybody. Now, there's some confusion at times about this because passages like Mark 16, 16 seem to say otherwise. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. A lot of proponents of baptism being necessary for salvation want to go to this passage. You'll remember that Lauren and I have been interacting with uh, some, some of the um, Mormon missionaries in this area, and, and they believe heavily that baptism is necessary for salvation. It's passages like this that they want to use to support that belief. This says right here, you have to believe and be baptized if you're going to be saved. It's important to note how the rest of that verse carries out, though. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. If baptism was the crux of the matter there, then you would expect Jesus to say, whoever does not believe and is not also baptized will be condemned. That's not what's said there. Whoever believes and, will be, and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The importance there is placed on the believing in Christ, not the act of baptism. And we've said before, I really believe this, that baptism is meant to be what the sinner's prayer has become in most churches. That when somebody wanted to get saved, you see this all through the New Testament. Peter and Paul and these guys preach sermons. You have people say, hey, what do we need to do? We understand what you're saying. We believe it. Tell us what to do next. What's become the what's next in most churches is come down this aisle, fill out this card, we'll contact you. This is what it means to respond to the gospel. And I think, too, at times we've made it too complicated to where people have to sit down and have long conversations about getting baptized in a church. 
Really, the indication seems to be if you want to respond to the gospel, come today and we'll baptize you. We'll fill it up. We'll make everybody wait for lunch. So you see baptism sometimes very close to repentance because that was the way you demonstrated you wanted to repent. Not pray this prayer, come be baptized. In the same way the sinner's prayer doesn't save somebody, it's a, it's a verbal expression of the decision that's already made in the heart. Baptism is that same outward expression of something that's already happened inwardly. If baptism were absolutely necessary for salvation, we'd expect to find it stressed every time the gospel is presented. However, many times it's absent. Acts 2.37 tells us to repent and be baptized. But in Acts 3, Acts chapter 3, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Peter's preaching another sermon. In Acts 2, he preaches the sermon and tells people, repent and be baptized. Here he just says, repent. This is a huge blunder by Peter if he leaves out something that's necessary for salvation, right? If baptism's necessary, then somebody needs to call him out for being a heretic here. Hey, all you said was repent. You didn't mention anything about baptism. But obviously we believe that the, that the, the Bible is inspired by God. That the Holy Spirit is speaking through Peter in this sermon. I think it may even be intentional that baptism is left out here. So that there's, there should be no confusion as to whether it's necessary for salvation or not. Obviously the best example, the thief on the cross... He's promised eternity with Christ without baptism. And I know Ben talked with Luke about this, and we talked about it over lunch again. The best way to know that it's not required is that the thief does not have time to come off that cross and get baptized. And he's not the exception to the rule. He gets in just like everybody else. He gets in through the faith that he demonstrates in Christ, absent from baptism. Paul even uh, puts a less of a priority on baptism in 1 Corinthians 1. People are arguing about baptism, and he's like, look, I can't remember who I baptized. Here's the important thing is that you're responding to the gospel. That's the issue. That's the issue. We've already seen that the Holy Spirit comes upon people in Acts 10 before their baptism. Let's go back to Acts 2.38, and we'll wrap up here with two more things. Acts 2.38. This is one of those passages where baptism is included in the gospel. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we read that in English and we see repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll get the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand how this sentence reads in the Greek though. And I only pull in the Greek when I feel like it's necessary to really teach us something. So I don't typically just throw out Greek stuff to try to impress you. But this is important because the Greek gives us some insight to how to read this passage. In the Greek, the word repent, the verb repent, and your, so repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Those are plural verbs. 
Okay, so there's a plural aspect to it. The be baptized is singular. What that indicates to us is that this is a parenthetical phrase. And for you English people, that means it can be taken out and it doesn't change the meaning of the sentence. Does that make sense? There are things that we say in the English language that are called parenthetical phrases. It means that you can take it out completely and it does not change the meaning of the sentence. The way that these verbs are written in Greek, it indicates to us that this phrase doesn't have to be there. It can be taken out, and it does not change the meaning of the sentence. So if we take out the parenthetical phrase, we can still read it as, and Peter said to them, repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The idea of baptism is not necessary to the sentence structure. Why is that important? Because it communicates to me that if Luke had died before today, before he had gotten into the baptismal tub back there, he's in, he's in heaven with Christ because he's repented of his sins. That's important. That's huge that that's a parenthetical phrase because it communicates big-time truth to us that salvation is not based on an external act, based on a heart confession. And that's communicated through it to us through Scripture. How should we baptize? First, two things. The Bible teaches the priesthood of believers. What we're talking about there is is baptism only for elders and deacons and pastors to do? Or is this something that anybody in the church can do? We believe in the priesthood of believers. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10 talks about this. We don't believe that we need mediators between us and God. That, that barrier has been broken down. Old Testament, Old Covenant, you had to go through the priest to get to God. You had to bring your sac. You couldn't, you couldn't have sacrifices at home to atone for your sins. You brought them to the priest who then took them to God on your behalf. That changes in the New Testament. Priesthood of believers. We believe the most appropriate person to the saved individual should do the baptizing. That's why today Ben baptizes his son. Not me as his pastor. But the one who led him to Christ, the spiritual head of that home. It's not a requirement here that a church official has to do the baptizing. We believe the most appropriate person to that saved individual should baptize them. The one that's going to take the most interest in their spiritual development. So today, Ben has the privilege and the honor of baptizing his son, who becomes his brother in Christ through the decision that he's already made. Secondly, baptism should happen in the local church context should happen in the local church context the norm should be baptizing individuals into church union first corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body through many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews or greeks slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit now, this is the norm. We expect that, that um, people that get saved through the efforts of our church, we bring them to our church to be baptized into church membership here. So technically, Ben could have baptized Luke at home last night in the bathtub. And it would have been appropriate. It would have been fine. It would have been a, a, an active expression that I've, I've been saved. But we believe that the best way to do it is in the context of the local church so that other believers can participate in it. So that we don't have to come announce to you that Luke's saved and he's been baptized. You can visually see it for yourself. 
It also puts responsibility on you as church members that Luke is now an official member of Sovereign Hope Church, not just because his parents come here, but because he's entered into union with us into the body of Christ, which means we now have responsibilities to help lead and guide him in his discipleship. That applies to all of us that are members. It's part of the member covenant in the back there that those things now apply for us to do to Luke because he's made a he's made a credible profession of faith in Christ. And that's not to say there aren't situations where it's appropriate to to baptize outside the local church context. I had a guy stop me in McDonald's this morning when I was studying. He says, you you a college student? And I was like, no, I've been out of college for a while because I had a big book that I was studying. He's like, what are you doing with that giant book? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor getting ready for uh, teaching today. And he's like, oh, I thought you guys just downloaded those off the Internet. And I was like, no. I know some of us still like study and, and try to really understand for ourselves what's going on. And he said, well, what are you teaching on? And I said, we're teaching on baptism today. And uh, he was telling me he had some friends or whatnot that had been in uh, Afghanistan that um, had led some people to Christ. And they were baptizing them with water bottles because there's not a whole lot of water out there. He was talking about that that's what's important. And, you know, and that's the type of situation where, yeah, I mean, obviously we believe in immersion here. We believe it's the best picture that we're buried. We're not, we're not sprinkled into Christ. We're buried with him and we're raised to walk. But there's times when it's, when it's, hey, this is all I got. And I don't have a local church to do it. We see Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch do it that way. When they're out in the middle of nowhere, Ethiopian eunuch said, there's some water. Let's do it now. Philip doesn't say, well, let's wait till we get back to the church and we'll, we'll talk to the elders and we'll make sure it happens. No, he says, look, God's about to make me vanish away, um, which is going to be a little weird. So we're going to go ahead and do it now because I'm not going back with you to Ethiopia. And so we baptize them. So there's obviously circumstances that would necessitate, hey, let's go ahead and baptize this person now. Um, Tyson was talking to me about a guy that he was sharing the gospel with at work that lives too far away to come to Sovereign Hope. And he was saying, you know, this guy accepts Christ. How should I handle his baptism? Because would we bring him to Sovereign Hope and baptize him here? And I was like, no, because he's not going to be a member here. He's not going to come here. And if you're not sure where he's going to go, I said, Tyson, you're, you're, you're fine to baptize him in, at the Chick-fil-A pond if you need to. Because you're not sure what church he's going to end up in. Go ahead and baptize that guy. Don't make him wait. So there's circumstances that would dictate that it happens potentially you individually with somebody not in the local church. But the norm should be, as we're leading people to Christ in this area, the hope is that they're coming to this church, and so we baptize them here to communicate that to everybody. Why should we be baptized? Four things, and we're just going to run through these. First, to obey the commands of Jesus. Jesus commands obedience to him, and part of the obedience to him is through baptism. Why should we be baptized? Number one, to obey the commands of Jesus. Secondly, to follow the normal path of becoming a disciple. So we obey the, the commands of Jesus. We follow the normal path of becoming a disciple. This is what we see in the book of Acts. People got saved. They got baptized. And this is why, and this is, it's, it's difficult because of the, it's difficult for parents to know when their child has really expressed faith in Christ. But I always encourage parents, if you really believe they're saved, don't make them wait for their baptism. I told you before, there's good churches that won't let kids get baptized or take the Lord's Supper until they're like 18 years old. I think it's confusing. It's so confusing. Why would you tell a kid they're saved, but they're not mature enough to be baptized? That's not the pattern we see in the New Testament. I told Ben, I said, if we're going to baptize Luke, make sure he's taking the Lord's Supper next time we do it. 
Don't baptize them and then tell them, hey, we're going to wait and see, buddy, if you're, if you're, if you're really going to hold to this before we give you the Lord's Supper. Treat the kid like a Christian if he's wanting to be treated like a Christian. If he says he's put his faith in Christ, let's baptize him and let's feed him the Lord's Supper. And if we have to do it again in the future, we'll do it again in the future. But let's treat him like a Christian if he's professed faith in Christ. Let's don't become the judge of whether you have or haven't. If you understand the gospel, you've put your faith in Christ, then let's treat you like a Christian. Follow the normal path of becoming a disciple. Third, to follow the example of the early church. And then fourthly, to publicly unite with the family of Christ. To publicly unite with the family of Christ. Jesse and Cortland yesterday publicly united with each other through their marriage ceremony. They declared to everybody their intentions. Luke declares his intentions to us as a church family today. That he has intentions to follow Jesus. And it now becomes our responsibility to hold him to that commitment. There are certain things that we should expect out of Luke now. Holy Spirit lives inside of him. We start putting the expectations of Christian on Luke. We hold him to that. We encourage him in that. We pray for him in that. He becomes a part of our family officially, publicly today. He's been a part of our family since he accepted Christ. Today we just make that official for everybody. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for the clarity of the gospel in the New Testament. God, I'm thankful that through your revelation of covenants, it's clear It's clear what the gospel is. And God, I'm thankful for the signs of the covenant that you've given to us. God, that you've given Luke an opportunity today to participate in something so special. Something that Christians have been participating in since the church was founded. It's his opportunity today to publicly declare to his church family, that he now follows Jesus. God, I'm thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. I'm thankful for the conviction that he's experienced. God, we're trusting that, that, he, that he understands the gospel, but we're also trusting that our church family will continue to teach him the depths of the gospel. Father, I pray that you'd protect Luke from doubting his salvation in the future because he comes to a deeper understanding of Christ. God, I know that's happened for a lot of people in this church. They got saved early and then doubted their salvation later in life because they felt like they understood things better. God, I pray that Luke would understand that's a natural process of growing up in Christ. God, I pray that you would protect him from doubt, protect him from the enemy. God, I pray that he would constantly find assurance in his salvation. Help him to realize that he's been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for Andrea and for Ben that they would be able to constantly reinforce those truths at home. God, help them to understand the depths of baptism and covenant beyond just the fact that they were raised this way. God, help them to be able to communicate these truths at home to Luke based on the teaching of God's word. Help them to be able to communicate it to Libby and Logan as they continue to grow and develop. God, I pray that through the the salvation of Luke that you would draw Libby and Logan to salvation as well. God, help them to see their need for Christ. Help them to see the change that Christ brings into life through their brother Luke. And God, I pray that for all our children, that through baptizing Luke today, that you would begin to grow your kingdom through our own families that are here. 
God, that you would allow the gospel to, to make sense. That our children would see their need for Christ. They would understand their sin and their rebellion. They would understand that they cannot perform well enough for God. They need Christ and his perfect work applied to their account. God, help us not to make the gospel too deep for a child here at this church. And I pray that we would faithfully communicate the gospel. That we would not withhold children from coming to you. And God, we celebrate that while we don't baptize infants here, that we do baptize children. God, I'm thankful that your gospel saves young people. That it's not too deep, that it's only for adults. God, I pray that you would raise up Luke in this church to be a godly man who can one day serve in the local church. God, I pray that our church would be faithful to raise him up in that way with his parents. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.